Hey, on my Travel and Podcast today, I'm lucky to have Anthony Watson. How are you today, Anthony? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Appreciate, appreciate the time. Anthony is a skeleton racer. I just like saying that out loud, actually. Skeleton racer. Yeah, uh, I never really know what to tell people when they ask me what kind of athlete I am. Normally, we just leave it at skeleton athlete, but then when people ask us to elaborate, that's when they start changing the name, so... I'll go with skeleton racer. <laughs> All right. uh, it's, it's a sliding sport. It's a winter sport. Uh, and you represented the country of Jamaica in the 2018 Winter Olympics. So that was that had to be pretty awesome for you, huh? Yeah, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I'm training really hard and hope I get the chance to uh, do again. Where's the next uh, Winter Olympics going to be at? Well, if the coronavirus, you know, dissipates, then it'll be in uh, Beijing, China. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll be gone by then. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, you never know. Yeah, true that. <laughs> Maybe you'll catch me running around with a face mask. Yeah, you'd probably be doing that anyways. I'm, I'm heading to Japan in a few weeks. I'll, I'm, I'm getting ready for my face mask. Oh, that is exciting. I was like, that's one place I've never been to that I'm kind of on the fence about. Do I want to go there, or am I just content with exploring the country through photos? <laughs> Everybody's told me that that, that Tokyo is, in, and yeah, we're gonna go to Tokyo, Tokyo and Kyoto, and everyone's been super high on it. So pretty excited. Well, it's, of course. I mean, like if you're gonna go anywhere in the world, I mean, like it's the New York City version, it's the, the Japanese version of New York City on crack. From yeah. what I've been told and yeah. what I've seen. Well, no, you know, I live I live in California, and we have a population of 36 million people, which is more than the country of Canada. And then I look up Tokyo. Tokyo has a population of 38 million. The city. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. That's going to be interesting. That, um... And that is because of that reason. I like, uh... I mean, well, Skeleton is kind of uh, any athlete that says that they're all about their personal space who has done bobsled or Skeleton. You can basically look them in the face and tell them that they're lying. Because we've all at some point in the beginning of our career, towards the end of our careers, because it's such a high, um, because it's such a high costly sport that there have been times where, you know, 10, 11 of us have all shared like a one bedroom studio apartment, literally to like cut down on costs. Well, yeah, I mean, you, so, you do what you have to. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. With all that extra I big mean, money that you make in bobsled and skeleton. Oh, yeah. I was like, if you ever find out where it is and how to get it, please let me know. <laughs> That's, you know, that uh, my, my favorite winter sport, almost embarrassingly, is curling. It's just, it's something I, I've always wanted to try. I don't you know, know you are not the first person to say that. Like, I've gone and, like, seen so many people literally. Like, um, I, when I was at the Olympics, I went to a curling event. I became friends and met the, the coach and the coordinator for Team USA's men's, cur- men's second curling team when the USA men won gold. And so we were out to dinner. He was like, hey, you like curling? And I was like, uh, I just said, yeah, but I mean, like, I don't really know much about it. I was like, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And he's just like, well, here, I'll get you tickets. And I mean, like, it, when you know, being there, you're like a whole different environment because unless you know anything about the sport, you're kind of lost. So I was sitting there watching four different games go on at the oh, same time you. and then like having to watch on the big screen and then everybody at the right moment was like all getting up and screaming whenever, I don't even, what do they call them? The rock? Or the, the stone. Yeah, you know I mean like, 
I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting exposed now. There it is. <laughs> I hope the people that gave me the tickets aren't listening. But, um, <laughs> you know, watching people literally do all these kinds of things, screaming sleep in different languages and all that kind of stuff is pretty intense. Uh, you know, so I stayed for about a good almost three hours and then took a bus back to the Olympic Village. But it was pretty wild and it's pretty fun to try recreationally. There's a curling club in Philadelphia, not far from me where I live in Jersey, that a friend of mine is a regular member at. So I was I was like, it's pretty awesome. We don't have a lot of curling uh, clubs in, in Los Angeles, so I don't know where I'm going to get in on one of those. Um, I was like, you guys, uh, I think the, the only thing cool that you guys have out there temperature-wise is just like, what, the air conditioning? Hey, all, all I know is, and, and I tell my buddy who's from, born and raised in Toronto, Canada, I tell him I live in oh, California, the, the home of hockey. Mm-hmm. I go, we got the Kings, we got the Ducks, we got the Sharks. We got more Stanley Cups than, than, than Toronto. Come on, get out of here. You guys, the state of California has almost... Uh, they have a large stake of like all professional sports. Like you guys have the 49ers, you have the Chargers, you have the Rams, and you have. Uh, we used I to have the Raiders. You have the, used to have the Raiders, yeah. And then you guys have the Padres, you have the Giants, <clears throat> you have the Dodgers, the Angels. Yeah. And then, uh, the, yeah, then, then, then hockey teams. And then when it comes, I mean, like, I'm a huge soccer fan. So, I mean, like, you guys only have the Los Angeles. Uh, soccer club. Well, we, well we, have the, we had the Galaxy and then we had the Chivas. Oh, yeah, the Galaxy, yeah. So, I mean, like you I mean, like you guys, you guys in Texas yeah, and Florida are the three major, like, you know, like mobiles when it comes to, like, sports sports organizations. It's because you can do it year-round. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... that's uh... I mean, like, you know, for a, state, for a state like yours, you guys have sports constantly from, you know, January till January. Well, that's like uh, I know. I know for almost a certainty that we're the the, the hub of girls softball, and uh, a lot of the because every time I watch like a softball team or whatever, I'm like they're all from California. They're all from Orange County, and where you can play year round. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Orange County breeds a lot of good athletes. Yeah, that's true. Oh, and we got a lot of people here too. So. How, how, yeah, that, that, that helps too. <laughs> for, for, for people that don't know what skeleton is, if I had to do a sliding sport, that's that would that's the one I would want to do. Other than the fact that I crashed head first, that would that would suck. But well, it, it is the safest. But like when whenever you do crash, like God forbid that you do, but like um, it's the safest sport. You're three inches off the ice. You know, luge is about a foot off the ice and bobsled. If you tip over in that thing, you have 600 pounds of carbon fiber and steel, like literally coming down on your neck and head. And then, <laughs> you know, but skeleton, like your shoulders, your hips, like they get banged up the most, like your ankles, legs, even like everything else. That's what takes like a brunt of the beating. Like your head actually is like the safest thing there unless you go like sideways and then smack head first into a wall like i've hit my head plenty like you know pretty hard semi times but for the most part it's just like it's not even it's not even something that i worry about much anymore you know because it's like you know like i said it's like your your shoulders your your wrists your arms your elbows like things that like actually like hit walls when you're coming off of a sled off of a turn wrong that's what takes the brunt of all of that I which doesn't make it sound any easier, but it's definitely, you know, like way, way fewer concussions. Only like if you have what's called an 81 and an 81 
is when you crash and you literally separate from your sled. That's like uh, when you're like, you know, getting airborne and you're from California. That's when people, you know, oh, I got when you. they hit a curve the wrong way, the curve goes from being a curve to a half pipe. <laughs> well, that's, you know, unfortunately, I, it, just like a lot of things, that's, I think that's why a lot of people watch the sliding sports during the winter Olympics. So they want to see the crash. Maybe not. Well, I mean, like there is that, there is that kind of mystery if that's what will happen. But, um, you know, normally the people that get to an Olympics, you know, like oh, they're the people that have yeah. been doing it since like, you know, they were a fetus in a group of cells before. <laughs> and like they, it's just in their DNA. Um, but at the same time, it's just like, I've seen all the pros that have won medals have some of the worst runs ever. And I tell people, everyone's just like, Oh, well, so-and-so is going to race. And like, this is what's going to happen. Like uh, y'all forget, like this is on ice. Yeah. I was like the most, unpredictable element out there i was like you cannot control anything i was like they may be experienced but i was like on ice anything can happen on the wrong day and then i've seen it happen to a lot of people myself included i mean how do you could how do you uh guide yourself on on the skeleton and how much control do you have oh you have total control you know the song head shoulders knees and toes yeah it's literally how you steer so in straightaways you literally like tilt your head to the left or to the right, and it's like an utter. It kind of like, you know, with all the wind coming at you, because you're going like, oh, you know, gotcha. 70, 80 miles per hour. So like any slight motion, the wind pattern changes, and it kind of pushes your body that way. So you you tilt your head to the left or to the right, and that's where the sled goes. When you go into curves, you use your shoulders to like make sure you don't climb so high, and then you use it to help you get off the curve. And then when you're in double pressure curves, when you see an athlete go up and then fall down and then get picked up again, yeah. you use your knees and your shoulders. And then an emergency steers, like when you're headed for a wall and you need the sled to just go the opposite direction, you drop a toe and then it makes the sled go the opposite uh, direction. So, you know, kind of like you're doing like a Macarena kind of dance on your, on this, uh, you know, piece of carbon fiber and steel. Now, uh, other than just the, the absolute experience of doing it, yeah, how do you how do you get started? Where you go? Yeah, I'm going to get on this thing and just go head first down. How do you how do you get started in that? Um, well, for me, my journey began because I was a track and field athlete in college and a soccer athlete in college uh, most of my life as a kid growing up until my teens, my late teens, and then um, I had an injury that prevented me from going to the Olympic trials for London because I was a junior Olympic um, national sprint finalist with my relay team and, and individually. And, um, when that happened, I kind of like took some time to like reevaluate if like the Olympics was something I still wanted to pursue. And so, um, I went through every single team USA website because the rules of the summer games is that like, you have to be a seasoned professional in that sport to be considered for the Olympic trials and like all the politics that go with that. And so with winter sports, I sat down one day, went through every single Team USA winter sport section, and then found that Bob Lipsy Skelton was the only one that took tryouts. And so I went uh, to Lake Placid 2013 in August, you know, tested, had the second highest score in the nation that year, and then got invited to um, the, uh, the to what was called a sliding school. So that's where you go to the track for the first time, you learn what the sled is, you learn what it does, you learn how to use it, you learn how to take care of it. And then you just practice sliding on it. So my first time ever in the track, my coach at the time, he just lay, he told me to lay down on my sled. And then he was just like, all right. He's like, give me your feet. And then he was like, see you at the bottom. <laughs> and then he just threw me in. <laughs> so 
so that was my first experience. But then as soon as I crossed the bottom of the of the you see as I crossed the finish line from that experience. And granted, we went from like a significantly lower point of the track because sure. you know that's like how you kill people. <laughs> so we went from a significantly lower point of the track, and um, as soon as I crossed the finish line, I was like, "This is it." I was like, "It's fun. I like it." I was like, "It's new to me," but I mean, like I'm young enough where I can learn it and still be deep. And so. Um, I ended up competing with Team USA for three years, and the whole three years I had become friends with the Jamaica Botsla team, the current team, because I'm Jamaican. So, um, you know, when we became friends, they were all kind of talking together and like, hey, come fly for us. You know, like, you'll be able to like do whatever you want, go wherever you want with no competition. <laughs> and we've never had a scout an athlete. And I'm like, eh. I was like, I'd rather be an elite athlete in a hard program because that way I'll know I'll be one of the best in the world as opposed to just going anywhere and having my butt kicked the whole time. So I was like, no, thanks. And then after three years of competing where I didn't really see myself progressing at the pace that I wanted, you know, like I peacefully and, and respectfully, you know, parted ways with my coaches and I hit up the Jamaicans and I was like, is that offer still open? And they're like, yeah, yeah, just do this, do that. Make sure you have your passport, your citizenship is up to date. And it was, so I was able to compete for them and the rest is history. And, you know, I, I'm here now as someone who, is for the first time ever in Olympic and Jamaican history, competed at a, at an Olympic Games in that sport, and training really hard now to uh, make history again. As now I'm representing my mother's country of Puerto Rico in the next Olympics. Oh, are you really? Hopefully. Yes, sir. Oh, that's awesome. How, how how stoked are your parents about that? Um. Well, I mean, like, they're a lot more stoked now for me than when I first told them what I wanted to do. <laughs> they were like, you want to do what? They're like, go finish your degree at school, sure. go get a job, do this, do that. It's that, like, this, this is just crazy. But, you know, like, they're, they're happy for me. You know, like, they've been there through the worst moments that I've had. They've been there through every, like, good moment that I've had. You know, yeah. they've been they've been my foundation through this whole thing. And so it wasn't so much them being like, oh, go make history and do this. And they, they weren't the ones that changed my mind. Like when I told my dad I wanted to compete for his country, he was like, eh, he was like, stay with the home team. Be, 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 be patriotic. And then, you know, when I told him I had a chance to do this, that's when he became more open to it. And then when um, I made history, it was a proud moment because my dad flew halfway around the world his first time out of the country ever since immigrating to, to the United States from Jamaica as a teenager. So his first trip outside of the United States was, was to come and watch me compete at the Olympics, you know, years later. And my whole Olympic dream began with my dad. You know, I remember being six years old watching Michael Johnson run track and field and telling my dad that I wanted to do that someday. And, you know, the ins and outs of, like, life and circumstances, you know, kind of put cloud or clouded my judgment or, like, you know, brought, like, a lot of doubt into the picture. But he's always been someone, he and my mom and my siblings, you know, have always been individuals that have kept me grounded and, you know, goal-oriented. And it was a big moment for me when I was able to tell them, you know, hey, I got the phone call, you know, I'm going to the Olympics. And to see all of that come come to pass was something that I am training like a bat out of hell to make happen again. <laughs> oh yeah, you, you got what about a year and a half? Yeah, two years. Two years. So okay. literally, um, two years from now, exactly two years from now, it'll be in Beijing, China. Wow. What what goes involved into you know representing? Obviously, it's it's not a money sport, no matter who you are. 
Yeah. And then coming from two countries that are like, sure, you want to do that? Good luck. You know, let us know how it works. I mean, are they supporting you or are they, is it, or is it just like GoFundMe kind of um, thing? Yeah, it's it's strictly crowdfunding because like for, for smaller countries like with Jamaica and with um, Puerto Rico, it's like there has, like in, in the words of other people, they've been like, like why are you going to go through that? It's a hazard country. You know, because Jamaica and Puerto Rico are, like, always in the line of fire when hurricane season hits. And, you know, Puerto Rico hasn't fully recovered from Hurricane Maria that happened, sure. you know, almost two years ago. And so um, it's it's definitely hard. You know, it was hard as a U.S. athlete to get people, like, you know, to commit and, like, sponsor and, like, donate and, like, help you achieve things. It's even harder to come to a poor country or to a third world country that literally has almost zero to nothing and like convince them that, you know, the same thing. And, and, you know, like I live in the United States. So I mean, like, you know, when I come to people, it's, it's cool. People are just like, Oh wow, you're an Olympian. What country? You're in? like, you know, the minute I say I'm not competing for Team USA, that's when it becomes even harder. Uh, but, um, I gotcha. You know, I, I, I take it a day at a time. You know, the one thing, you know, and I, I, I used to stress out and worry about, like, every aspect of it. But, I mean, like, now I, I, I just take it a day at a time. And the only thing I worry about is what I can control. That's my training. You know, that's my reaction to, like, you know, good news, bad news. And that's the effort that I bring to every task that I put in. And, you know, but for most Olympians that aren't supported, you know, we're, we're tasked with training ourselves, you know, funding ourselves and like doing the best that we can, which can be difficult, you know, because you want, you want to work to support your, you know, like your training schedule, pay for your coaching, pay for a gym, you know, your training suffers because in order for you to do that, you have to work. But if you want to develop your time to training solely, you'll become a better athlete. You'll just be <laughs> in a bad living situation. <laughs> yeah. Yes, which is, and I've been in both situations. Like, I at one point was working three jobs to support, you know, like my my uh, career, and literally wasn't training at all. And so then I made the choice to cut all ties from working and to just focus on being an athlete. And I was putting up phenomenal numbers, but you know, it was to the point where, you know, I I had no working phone, I had uh-huh. no way to contact people, and like in certain cases, I had no place to sleep. <laughs> so. You know, um, and all of this before and after the Olympics. So it's like, you know, it, everyone's journey is different. But um, a friend of mine gave me some of the best advice that I give people now. And he's like, if you think that the Olympics is supposed to be a financial payout, you're here for the wrong reason. Yeah, absolutely. He said, it's supposed to change you internally. It's supposed to change you on how you think about yourself, how you view life in the world and, and your approach to it. And he's like, that's what this is for. And that's why it means so much to a lot of people because of what they sacrifice and give up, not by what they give, not by what they get. It's about what they give and what you've given to get here. He's like, that should be enough for you, man. And, you know, like that changed my perspective on it, you know, ever since. And, you know, like now every day when I go in there, you know, I don't think about nothing. I don't know nobody. I'm, I'm all about my training. And, you know, like for the, for the four or five hours that I'm busy a day doing it, it's just like that's all that matters. That's all I see. That's all that exists because, you know, I know that there are other people out there working just as hard, if not harder. So I push myself, you know, and I've had some injuries and, you know, like had a lot of things that have been, you know, caused things to have a setback. But at the end of the day, it's just like, it's difficult, but it ain't easy because if it were easy, everyone would be an Olympian, you know? And I mean, like, to be a part of a small community of elite athletes in the world for forever, 
you know, immortalized in Olympic history. It's like, it means a lot, but it goes deeper than that for me. You know, it's all about like what the impact I can have outside of the sport and outside of and off the ice in my community, in my, you know, in my, in my social circles and my social groups on social media, you know, and, um, you know, the impact that I can give people from there. Well, growing up, what, what did, I mean, I did a little research on you and, the reason I was really excited to talk to you is we, we have a similar history in the sense of sports kind of saved me. My, 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 my dad moved a lot. And so all of a sudden it was like in the middle of fifth grade, we, we moved states and then middle of high school, he's like, Oh, we're moving over here now. Different high school, different friends and sports brought me, you know, cause I wasn't a big guy, but I played football and I wrestled. And so as soon as I joined the sports, all of a sudden I, I, I had my, my tribe, my, my group of people. And I, I stopped getting bullied. I stopped getting picked on and sports kind of did that for me. And it seems like it's the same, even with the Olympic athlete stuff, I, I can't even imagine, you know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's a different level. Well, for us, that's family, you know, yeah. so essentially I'm, I'm not sure what referencing you are. Was that the, was that the interview that I did with the uh, Philadelphia union, the pro soccer team? Because they, they were actually like, so essentially sports saved you. I was like, yeah, it basically did. You know, I was someone like was bullied and picked on for literally everything and felt like I had no place anywhere until I was a part of a team and, you know, everyone looked out for each other, you yeah. know. Um, but like in, in with Olympic sports and the people that you spend your essentially a good majority of your life with, those people become your family. You know, like so I've become, you know, closer to some of the athletes on the road than some of my own extended family, you know, because it's like, you know, you spend months on the road and you, you see the same people all the time, you know, and it's like, you, you guys, you guys, you, everyone bonds. And, you know, it, it makes saying goodbye at the end of the season hard, but it also makes the off season and the beginning of season exciting because you're just counting on the dates to when you get to see people. But I feel the same way. It's like my life just feels like it's been in one big pause resume kind of, lifestyle because it's like you know i live here at home but then i leave for months and then when i come back i pick up from where i left off but everyone's lives have moved and progressed way past like way past me and so i'm like playing catch-up and then like you know i'm missing my friends on the road and then like when i'm on the road i'm missing my family and my friends and it's kind of like you know so it makes things it, it makes an ordinary life a little bit a little bit difficult but um it, it's it's worth it you know, because all the time and energy that I'm putting out to like be a good athlete, I've got friends that I've become super close with that are helping me become what I want to be. So um, it, it definitely feels like the, the impact of that is definitely a lot more than I would say like anything else, but only because it's like you come from people from different religions, backgrounds, ethnic cultures, and, you know, different parts of the world. And it's a chance to learn and explore, you know, and like, I may never be in these countries ever, but you know, like I get to be there through the stories and experiences that I share with these people that have become now lifelong friends. So that's, that's definitely like the big thing that I feel like it has the biggest impact on me in that aspect. Well, and, and I can tell you, uh, business in business, I'm the same way now, you know, when you work at a company for a long time, you end up being around the people you work with longer more than you are with your own family sometimes, you know, if you spend 10, 12 hours yeah. a day. And, and now uh, as an outside sales rep, I end up calling uh, other reps that I know because I go, Hey, what are you doing now? Driving for the next three hours. And they're like, ah, me too. Okay. Let's talk, you know? 
and we'll just talk about mm-hmm. family, dogs, pets, whatever, you know. And yeah, that's how you get all the aunts and uncles who are never related to you. <laughs> they become family to your family. Yeah, you know, and it's, all of a sudden you're like, and then you see them and you're like, hey, what's going on? You know, it, it's it, it's a little camaraderie. But I think that's, mm-hmm. I think that comes from, you know, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people play sports and that's the one thing I always appreciate about sports is that teamwork. So no, always, it's the best, it's the best thing to do. I mean, like, you know, I compete in a solo sport, but you know, it's a community. And I mean, like, uh, it's, um, it, it, it's fun doing things collectively. You know, there's, there's support, yeah. there's motivation, there's inspiration, you know, there's friendly rivalry, you know, cause I mean like there, there are days that, you know, like I have some of my best friends, you know, like we're laughing one minute, but as soon as we get to the track, it's just like, all right, I'm going like, to kick your ass today. Yeah, it's just exactly. like, yeah. It's like, yeah, good girl, go for it. You could try, and then, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. But it's just, it's all, it's all in good fun. How, how much, um, how, I, I, I kind of know a little bit. There's not a lot of tracks that you can practice on. Lake Placid is the, probably the, the only one that I know of in, in North America, unless there's one in Canada. But, I mean, how do you, how do you practice uh, well, Skeleton? There's 16 tracks in the world, so Canada has two. Okay. Technically, right now they only have one because one they blew up to rebuild it. Um, but uh, in the U.S., there's Lake Placid, then there's Salt Lake City, where oh, the 2002 okay. Olympics took place. Sure, sure. And then there's one in Vancouver where the 2010 Games took place, and then one in Calgary where the 1988 Olympics took place. And that's actually where the Jamaica bobsled team made their Olympic debut. So. Um, then Europe has a major. Then Europe has a lot, and then Korea has one because that's the Olympics that I competed in. Yongchen, Japan has yeah. one, but no one's ever slid on that for so long that now they've just kind of shut the track down. Um, and then the 2006 Olympics of Torino, that track is now closed, and it's kind of just like a just a I don't even know what you call it, a landmark. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but so like when when season when preseason starts preseason starts like September October and like the first track to always open in the beginning of the year is Lillehammer that's in Norway yep. so a lot of like the luge athletes like I know that team team GB the Brits um, they're always there that's technically considered their home track because they spend all their free time there they send all of their new athletes there to slide for months on end and then they just take that the Germans they have four tracks. So the Germans are one of the most dominant countries in the world just because, like, they have four tracks in their own country and, like, they have chances to, like, groom athletes all over the place. And, um, you know, so September to October is preseason. So you get about, in that time frame, about three and a half, almost four weeks, like two weeks, one month, two weeks, the next month of just sliding just to get your bearings. Then November is normally the first race. And then December is when World Cup starts, and then World Cup is still going on now, and it's actually World Championships right now in Winterburg. But I am home currently, so I wasn't able to get enough funding to get on the road this year. So, um, you know, I had to do a lot of, uh, I had, you know, still doing a lot of training, still had to do a lot of proposals and whatnot. But I mean, like, that's just the life of the sport. You can't afford it, you don't slide. Yeah. <laughs> and every, because everyone, the, the misconception is just like, everyone's like, so how much money do you make? I was like, nothing. I was like, kind yeah. of backwards. I was like, if I want to compete, I have to pay to compete. And I was like, the day that I can't is the day that I stop. But I said, you know, everyone's telling me to retire. You know, like, you got your Olympics. Let us get it. You have nothing left to prove. And I'm just like, you guys don't get to tell me when I have to quit. I was like, I'm going to quit when I'm ready to quit. And right now I'm not. So it's just like I'm working on things, getting some things in order, and hopefully we'll be on the – well, not hopefully. I will be on the ice next year uh, if and when things work out. How much does a sled cost? Or, you know, I don't know what you call it, the skeleton. 
Yeah, a sled a sled used costs mm, I want to say like anywhere from three grand to like oh. six grand, and then brand new anywhere between eight and twelve. And do, do they make them to your body, or how does that work? Yeah, so so the pod, the thing that you lay on, they yeah. actually like if depending on the sled maker, those stay the same. Like they vary in style and in aerodynamics from sled maker to sled maker. But um, what you have to get fitted you have to have fitted as your saddle, the thing that you actually lay in that keeps you on the sled. That has to be uh, welded and shaped to your rib cage and to your midsection because if it's too big, you're going to fall out of it. If it's too tight, you won't fit in it. So, What if you gain weight? Well, there's really, really strict weight rules now, so it's just like when we're all about like, that there's like like once you're in season mode it's like we work out we train to maintain or to lose but like if you gain it's easy to make your saddle bigger all you have to do is take a hammer to it and bang it out a little bit <laughs> okay but then like to get it yeah if you uh if you if it gets too big and you try to bend it back then the metal starts to get weak Weird. and then every yeah. single time you take a tap the saddle starts to bend so i've had plenty of sweaters like that I, you know that because like my my saddle was too loose I've dislocated my hip. I've nearly broken my foot. You know, I've <laughs> nearly flown off of my sled. So it's it's, uh, it's interesting. And, and you got to buy your helmet. I, I, maybe that's what people don't understand. You know, Olympics, you, you, it's an amateur sport. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, technically you're supposed to be an amateur. And they've, they've made allowances for hockey players and basketball players and all that. But but for the most part it's yeah it's it's still amateur like average on average yeah. depending on where you decide to go and compete in the world like on average it's going to cost the average athlete about $45,000 and i mean like you know that's that's like with all the trips i mean like everything you see on an athlete like they have to find a way to cover or if they come from a federation that has a lot of money the federation will cover that so like helmets, and I'm talking like everything, like winter gear, like snow pants, like big jackets, you know that kind of thing. So uh, last season I couldn't afford any of that stuff, so I was just like running around warming up in like a regular pair of like sweatpants and a hoodie, <laughs> in like two feet of snow. So, yeah. well, <laughs> I don't, I, I, I got nothing for you on that one. That's incredible. It's what we go through. <laughs> I got nothing to say either. I mean, because everyone's like, "Why do you go through that?" It's like I don't know. So like, it's just like if you don't have it, you find a way to make it work and still get what you need done done. Well, for for, for on the traveling part, um, I mean, that's just got to, that's a whole another level of of economy travel that you have to come up with. I mean, you know, you start talking about food and everything else. Oh, there were days that um on the road I didn't have anything and like you know the the small amounts of money that people were donating and sending in it would literally come down to choices every day of am I going to go train today or am I going to eat today and I was like mm, I'll go slide and then I'd go to bed you know sometimes days without having anything in my stomach yeah it's hard to be a world-class athlete when you're hungry oh yeah it's hard to be a human when you're hungry yeah, true that. <laughs> So uh, you you've got you're gonna give it uh, what, two more years and then and then join the real world I guess. No, I mean like I live in the real world. I work in the real yeah, world. Yeah. I've been in the real world for thirty years. You know this this has definitely opened my eyes to more of the world. Like 
before this, like I've never taken a vacation, never been on a plane to go visit another country. And, you know, I've, I've seen more of the world through competition and met more of my lifelong friends that I never would have had I not done this. So there's definitely been like, you know, the ups and downs and and the, the positives of everything that goes into it here. Um, but I don't think I'll ever be a normal part of like civilian life, you know, after I decide to retire because, you know, like my goals go past like that kind of thing, you know, like I want to help other athletes, you know, figure out ways to support themselves and, you know, speak to different kids, you know, because uh, I mean like athletics in general, it doesn't matter what sport it is. It's always, it's, it's always a, a field for long shots, Yeah, you know, it's, it's all about statistics. So, I mean, like, you know, the first time I remember telling anyone I wanted to be a professional athlete, they'll be like, well, statistically, it's a very small window. And I'm just like, well, why can't I get in there? You know, it's just like, you know, a lot of things go into it. You know, it's like, you know, timing is everything, you know, like, you know, right place, right time, the connections that you make and, you know, the Absolutely. work that you put into it. But, um, you know, I feel like it goes deeper than that. And I feel like a lot of people give up because they're just under the stigma that it's just like, well, you know, it's so fast and so many few people, but I'm just like, look, if I can say anything, it's just like, there's nothing guaranteed about life and sport. you know, the, the right injury will put you on the bench permanently, you know, but I never, I tell people when I go to speak to kids now, it's just like, you never enter any type of test or any game or any practice situation with the mindset of this might be the end. It's like, if the end comes, you have to be mentally strong enough to accept that, but you never just approach something new with that mindset because then any small thing that happens, if your mind is going to blow it up to this life threatening thing that it shouldn't, and it's going to paralyze you mentally from going where you need to go. So, but I said, at the same time, I'm a realist. Like, if you can't dribble, shoot a three-pointer, and don't even know, like, left from right, I'm not going to tell you to, like, try out for the basketball team, you know? Yeah. I'm going to do my best to encourage you to try and pursue what you want to pursue, but I'm all about trial and error. Like, if you want to try it out, and then this is the result, live with it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the, the – the, like, I, I've spoken to three or four different NFL players – and, and they're not the Cam Newtons or the, you know, the high level guy. They're practice squad to, to second or third string. And they, they, at 26, 27, they're now retired. They've never had a job. And they actually feel like they're behind the, the eight ball because their they're friends that they graduate college with have had three or four or five years of, of work experience. And now they're going out saying, I, they, you know, the one guy I talked to, he's never had a job in his whole life. You know, he went from high school being an All-American in high school to uh, All-American captain at, at North Carolina to playing for the Saints and then playing for the Panthers and then playing for the Seahawks. And now he's 26, 27, retired. No one will hire him, and he's never had a job. So yeah. he's going to be struggling just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting. Yeah, I mean, like this. And I mean, like it is. And so, I mean, like, but every story like that is, is unique in itself just yeah. because a lot of the people that you talk to in those kind of circumstances were the ones that were not hopeful, not hoping that someone would get injured, but they were the ones that needed to be ready just in case someone did. And um, nine times out of ten, it's just like that's how it goes for a lot of people. Like, um, but, but yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree with, with that. And, and um, I've been that's how I got into the Olympics was through a situation like that. So the Russians, the Russians got uh, one of their, their gold medalists from, from 2014 
got banned for life temporarily. At the time, he was banned for life, and then his <laughs> band got listed. I was going to say, how do you get banned for life and, temporarily? Okay. Yeah, he got banned for life, then, like, literally, like, Appealed a couple it. weeks later, the band was listed. And, you know, you know, because, like, the uh, the events that we compete in, you know, Russia's, like, got a very big financial stake in it. Yeah. So, like, they provide a lot of stuff that happens. So, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not in the conspiracy theories. All I know is that he was banned for life, and then, like, the suspension was magically just, like, taken away. Him and, like, a couple other athletes, but, you know. And so, like, uh, there was one spot open. Russia could have taken the third athlete, but they only took two. So that spot that was open, it was offered to other countries, but because their athletes didn't meet their country standards, they turned the spot. They turned, They didn't accept the spot. And then I was the next one in line. So when they offered it to the Jamaicans, the Jamaicans jumped on it. As I say, the Jamaicans probably didn't have a, a, a country standard for skeleton. So they went, yeah, you can do it. Nah, I wasn't the standard. And I was, yeah. I was doing okay. I mean, like, I could have been doing better. But, I mean, like, at that time in my career, I was literally, like, my biggest concerns weren't like, oh, gosh, I need to, like, race faster. It's just like, I'm hungry. I need to eat something. Wow. Well, no one's going to say you didn't earn earn your spot, though. That's crazy. What, what's the hardest part, other than, I guess, food would be the hardest part of traveling for, for Skelton. But when you travel... I mean, it all has a, it, I, mean like, I would say the difficult thing is... It, it, I don't want to say there's one thing that's more difficult than the other. Like, everything has to go together in order for it to be a good experience. Like, yeah. Uh, if, if anything is the hardest, it's the financial side, you know, because you can be a good athlete, but if you don't have the money to hire a coach, get good equipment to race on, have the finances to travel to and back, back and forth to tracks, races, training, you know, then yeah. kind of all pointless, you know, and I hate sounding, I hate sounding so materialistic like that, but I mean, like that's, no, just, that... that literally, that's literally just how it is that's because in amateur sports, you know, like you're, spending all your time and, you know, and then dedicating all this other stuff to, to, to become better and doesn't really lead anywhere. That, that, to me, that that's not materialistic. That's e- eating is not materialistic. And, 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 you know, if you go, Hey, I'd like a, a $6,000 sled instead of a $3,000 sled. That's one thing. But I, I mean, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're asking for basic minimums. Cause I mean, that, that's yeah. what I was asking. It's like, how do you try, you know, how do you, I can't imagine you're traveling up to Lake Placid, but I mean, just going to, to actually race on a, on a track's got to be expensive. Yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, how we pay. So like, um, if you take four runs in a single training session, you have to pay $35 a run. So even like, you know, that was, and those add up. <laughs> how, how many, how many runs do you try and get when you go up there? I take as many as I can physically bear. So, like, the most I've ever taken in one session was eight, and it was to the point where, like, my neck, I couldn't I couldn't lift my neck for a good day and a half because all the G-forces that yeah. you're under pin your neck to the ice and, like, all the thrashing around when, like, things go sideways, you know, like, kind of makes you not feel so good. But, um... <laughs> I love how nonchalant that is. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, if it was my rookie season, I'd be, like, more frantic. But, you know, like, I've been doing this for six years. So, it's like, yeah, and people are just like, wow, that's what happens. Like, yeah, so just like, and that's normal. Like, if it's not your normal, you have to make it your normal because yeah. you won't last if you can't get used to it. What, what, what is the best place you've visited so far 
for for skeleton. Oh, for for my my favorite would probably be Germany and Switzerland. Those are my two absolute favorites. I went to St. Moritz, Switzerland. It's a very expensive town all the way up in the Swiss Alps. And it's I like that because the track every year is made from hand. It's made by hand. It's on a mountain slope. But every year there's like a wooden path that they follow. And when the snow falls, they literally shovel out the track lines and then they pack it and then they freeze it. And then at the end of every season, it melts away. And so they have to start all over again. But, oh yeah. So, I mean, like, so every year, like, um, the fastest time, the fastest push time, the fastest downtime becomes the start record. So it's just like, you know, start record, track record, they're kind of permanent at all the other places, but on that track, it's the only track in the world where it's kind of up for grabs because it's the only natural track. Every other track is made from concrete refrigerated every year. Um, but like every track, you know, like when when the, when the summer comes, the ice melts and everything happens. But, you know, literally when Saint Mar- when it melts from St. Moritz, it's gone. And the next year they have to rebuild it all over again. That's wild. That means it's it's different every time, though, every year, right? Oh, it, it is. It's not the same. So it's just like the notes and the coaching that you had for it the year before. You have to take a couple track walks, take a couple training runs to see the differences in it, and then go from there. So, and the town is really beautiful. It's up in the mountains. It's like really, really pretty. And, um, you know, it's like I said, it's, it's Switzerland. So, I mean, like, it's very, like, I remember the first time, like, after training, I was trying to meet up with some friends to get lunch. And then, like, I was leaving the track, and, like, we drove, like, on the street to get to the track. There's a Maserati dealership, there's a Bentley <laughs> dealership, there's a Rolex store, yeah. literally, like, all next to each other. And, um, like, uh, one, it was New Year's Eve one night, we were all going out, and so, like, a friend of mine who is from Sweden, he was like, I'm going to call a cab, anyone want to split the fare with me? And I was like, I'll do it. I was like, how much is it? He's like, 200 francs. 200 Swiss francs. I was like, never mind, I'll walk. <laughs> so, how much? How much? And I was like... Uh. Well, the, the fare, the fare for a taxi to like take it in the town, which is literally less than five minutes for like one person, costs like six hundred euro or six uh, six hundred Swiss francs. And just to give you an idea how wealthy this town is, uh, Maserati, Lexus, BMW, like the high line cars, the high line luxury cars of all of these brands, Mercedes, Audi, were the taxi. Yeah, that's crazy. That's a, yeah. so you see like a you see you see like a very expensive Maserati sitting outside and it's got it's got a taxi thing on it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like the only other place you could see something like that would be Dubai. Yeah, I don't know. They're saying that we were looking up because uh, we're going to Tokyo and there was we looked up the um, going from the airport to Tokyo, which we're uh, Narita, the far the faraway airport, and it was like two hundred eighty dollars, and I'm like. Excuse me. Right. It's like, what, 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 for a cab ride, and then but you know, so we're gonna uh, get we're getting the the limo bus for twenty four dollars. Yeah. So it's like you you travel you travel like in a can of sardines out there, but just to save a just to save a couple of dollars. Oh, uh, two hundred. That's you know, I'm like, holy Christ. It's like. That, but you're right. I mean, there's just some areas that are more expensive, and it just is what it is. Oh yeah, it amazes me. It makes me more grateful for what I have when I come home. <laughs> yeah, right. So, w- when you travel, how, how involved do you get as far as you know, 
diet, uh, you know, jet lag. How, how how bad does that affect you when you when you're going to you know Switzerland or Germany or any of these other places? I, I feel like the jet lag is the worst part, um, especially if you're going ahead. And so like unless um, unless you have a good coach that can help you with certain things. So like I was always taught that wherever whatever time zone you land in, stay up until bedtime. If you get there early, or go to bed and wake up at like the start of the day. That's right. like the quickest like DIY to like get through the jet lag is if you just like force yourself immediately to get on the sleep schedule of everything. Cause when I first went overseas and when I came home from overseas, I was going to bed like two, three o'clock in the afternoon, waking yeah. up at like four or five and like two, like three or four in the morning and just being all sorts of messed up. And, um, it definitely like made things a lot harder. That was, uh, that's how I deal with that. As far as like dieting and like everything else goes, like everything like outside of the U.S. is like you know it's not like really you don't really have to really worry about steroids or like hormones and like the meats and everything like that. And everything outside of the U.S. is all like everything is like more vegetables, more fruit, more natural sugars than like and naturally like you have like your candy and your chocolate and whatnot. But um, you know I'm I'm disciplined in that aspect when I'm in, when I'm on when I'm in season. You know, because, I mean, like, and this is coming from the guy who, like, literally, like, today, like, I went to work out, and then I came home and, like, had, like, a box of glazed donuts a dozen off on myself <laughs> and finished them within, like, 15 minutes. So, I mean, like, you know. <laughs> but you're burning the calories. You can do that. Wait till you get older and, and you're not burning the calories. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, right now I'm active enough where it's just, like, you know, I could do all that and, like, be fine. But, you know, yeah. I'm going to have to get a – I'm going to have to get – I want to get a handle on it now so that when I stop, I don't have to, like, relearn how to feed myself, you know? Yeah. That's a good call. Because I'm telling you, man, once you get older, it's like, what? I used to eat all this – all the bad stuff. And – uh yeah, that's what everyone keeps telling me, and I'm a firm believer that if people are warning you, don't wait for it to happen to like regret not doing it. So I'm, you know, I, I do, I'm doing something about it now. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, both my daughters uh, played played sports all the way into college, and when they graduate, I, I, I tell them the same thing. I'm like, man, I'm telling you, <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's so interesting to to see the things that my parents never told me because they didn't know, you know, the 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 knowledge of food and, and diet and all that wasn't around the way it is now. I mean, you can just Google what's better for you and how much glucosamine you're supposed to have or this or that. And I, I tell my daughters who are 26 and 24 and I'm like, start now. You know, don't, don't, don't be eating all the crap through your thirties and all of a sudden try and change. Yeah. I was like, you can change, but it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. And, and, there, there's no upside to it. You know, I, there's, I, I, I can't even tell you how, how crazy, you know, 30, 35 years ago, I mean, you just ate food. People didn't, you know, you ate meat, you ate, you know, we know we're talking about protein and micronutrients and that, that just wasn't around. Well, things have changed, you know, like people literally, you know, like I have a huge respect for science. You know, I don't really think it's, I mean, like, there are some times when people are just like, well, this is not just like, eh, you can keep that theory to yourself. Yeah. You know, because to me, science and to me, sport is all trial and error. You you try and fail until you find what works. And it's the same thing with nutrition, because like in nutrition, working out and everything like that, you know, like universally, like you don't want to have an intake of this or uh, something that makes you or like do something that's going to wear you out a lot faster. But um, at the same time, it's just like, I feel like you have to, 
build the right team that will help you find out what works for your body best. And I feel like that's where I'm at right now. So, like I said, I don't go crazy. I don't really do a whole much of like anything wild and whatnot. But um, I know it works for me. So I've like in I've been in situations where coaches have written me meal plans, this and that, and then like I end up losing more weight, can't maintain weight because of like the intake that I have, or like I'm getting sick because I'm taking in too much, and then my workout isn't balancing out the intake plus burning up the calories and everything. So it's it's taken a while. So I'm I'm with you on that. It's like you know look. Don't wait till later to start now, but like if you're going to do that now, find out what works with it so that you're not just fighting, you know, yeah, yeah. killing yourself slowly. Yeah, and that way you're not just not fighting it down down the road. So, what, right. What advice would you give? Uh, how many people do you get that go, "Hey, I've always wanted to do skeleton or bobsled." I mean, do you run into that, or do you, are you saying, "Hey, maybe this is a good sport for you to try out"? I know a lot of the track people. No, yeah, I think it's more of the opposite. Like a lot of a lot of people get in the skeleton based off of being told to try it because, like, um, or I mean, but like very few find it through uh it, through interest. Right. I mean, like I know a, for, a few of my former teammates found skeleton because they watched it on TV and they wanted to learn how to try it, so they researched how to try it, and then they all came out and tried it for the team. And then other people were, they found out about it because they knew people. Because I, I come from a track and field background, and a bunch of the people that I know um, were told about it from someone who told them about it, from someone who told them about it through, yeah. like, a track event. And they're just like, oh, why don't you try this, you know? And so, but, yeah, I mean, like, no one really comes up to me, and they're just like, oh, you do skeleton? Are you the skeleton guy? Like, at certain places they do, but, like, for the majority, it's just like I'm, like no one, no one really recognizes me because I mean, like I have a helmet on. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah, that's like football players. You know, it's the same thing. A lot of the the backup players. You know, uh, I, I at some of the events I've worked at, I've I've seen some of the big guys that come in and 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 I find out later they're offensive linemen for there and that, but you you would never know them because they got yeah. a helmet on when they're playing. Same yeah, deal. that's that's me because like a lot of the colleges and like the schools and like you know the events that I do where I'm invited to come and speak, I I ask them like how many of you heard of Skeleton? And like no one raises their hand. I'm like ah tough crowd. <laughs> no. Well, see, but but you're you're changing that little by little. You know, wasn't it um uh, who was it Lola Jones or who was the uh, female? Yeah, yeah, Lola Jones who did track and field and then came over to bobsled. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it might not be the good press or whatever, but it presses press to a certain extent to get the sports to where you where where, well, where you're trying I mean, to get like, sponsorships. I've, I've sat in the same room as Lolo. I've you know I've eaten meals with her. You know when we were both U.S. athletes at the time, and I got nothing bad to say about her. You know, but like with Lolo's reputation and like anyone who knows her, it's just like she's someone that it doesn't matter if she stopped doing sports tomorrow. She'd still have a good amount of press behind her just because of what she's accomplished sure. in her field. And just because like, you know, she's really outspoken as being like a single woman. So, <laughs> so I don't think she'll ever have any problems, you know, with that with, with, with her life there. But like, she's, she's, I mean, like, like truth be told outside of personality, outside of all the bad press, all the issues and whatnot, like the girl knows how to run. Like she's got a good group of coaches that, you know, yeah. took someone from an un, 
from like a circumstance where things really didn't look promising and like turned her into one of the best, like, you know, two way athletes in the world. Like, you know, a sprinter on the track and on the ice track and very few people have done that, but you know, she bridged the gap and now more people are starting to do that. So, you know, athlete to athlete, you got to give credit where credit's due. You know, I don't really know her personally, you know, like, I mean, like, but like anyone, you hear stories, you hear things, but it's just like, I, I just kind of let it fall on dead ears, you know, because I'm like, like, I ain't got no personal relationship with her. I don't really care what's being said or what she's saying. It's just like, let's like, and that aspect of things is like, live and let live. Well, yeah, and I don't know, obviously, I don't know her at all. I don't know any of the, the, the good or bad press. I just know, I just remember hearing that a female sprinter was going to get into bobsled. And I was like, ah, oh, makes sense. You know, you got to have strong, the, the, the push off is so key. And if she's got the, the legs, leg strength to, yeah, there was two. There was Lauren Williams, and then there was um, then 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 there was Lolo Jones. So, and then Tyson Gay yeah. came out and tried learning how to push the sled. And so uh, he didn't stick with it, though. He went back to sprinting. It's a lot of work, and it's a lot of it's cold. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like with with like, like I used to train a, a lot in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and I used to train with a lot of MMA fighters, and. All but one, I can tell you that I've met, and I won't say his name, but all but one were super nice guys. You know, so these, they were, they were guys that beat people up for a living. And, but you'd meet them outside of the, and they were just super chill. And I'm sure people, I always tell people, like, because I live in Los Angeles, so, you know, celebrities have bad days too. You know, so yeah. if you meet somebody and they're just having a bad day and maybe they didn't eat good or they, you know, their, their girlfriend just broke up with them or what, whatever, you know, and, and you go to say hi to them, that was their one bad day. So I always, always try and give people, cut, cut people a little break. Yeah, absolutely. You got to. Yeah. So what, what's the best way for people to, to stay in touch with you, help you <laughs> uh, financially or just support you and, and, and follow the journey? Well, I'm a very open book. You can reach me and you can reach me everywhere. Like I'm active on my Facebook. I think that's, uh, our, uh, and my, well, I just got into LinkedIn. That's how we connect with yeah. LinkedIn. Cause people are like, you need, you need to have a LinkedIn. I was like, why? It's so, it's not me, but, um, I'm very, in, I'm very in touch, you know, I mean like with the kind of background I've had where I've had people literally just like, you know, write me off and put me down and like literally try to like, dictate who I was and what type of person I was based off of things that I couldn't even control. You know, now that I'm in a position of influence, I'm, I'm, I'm accessible to everyone. I'm on Instagram. Like anyone who DMs me or reaches out to me on there, it's just like, I, oh, I respond to everybody. Yeah. You know, I, I have a Twitter, but I'm really not reactive to Twitter or Facebook. You know, a lot of times when I go on there and like start scrolling, I feel like a lot of the entries that start with dear diary. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, man. But, um, but any, anytime anyone mentions me, says something, I like it. I, um, I respond, I comment, you know, just to give people like some sort of like, Oh wow. Like he's actually, he actually noticed, you know? And you know, I remember when people did that to me, it happened very few times, very few times in my life. But like the few times that like on Twitter, I like, I remember like telling Lindsay Sterling, the famous violin player, I was just like, Hey, I'm lifting weights to Lindsay Sterling's like, uh, this song. And then she commented and she's like, good. Now add more weight. And then I was like, Holy smoke. I am constantly amazed of the, the reach my, my, my stupid little podcast show has had, um, as far as getting guests like you and, and some of the others. And then 
the comments and, and, and emails and messages I've gotten are mind blowing. Cause I'm like, I just like talking yeah. to people and I figure if I, if, if I can inspire somebody to, you know, and they listen to, but now it's like 66 countries have listened to my show. And I'm like, well, that's amazing. And I think you found your niche. So yeah, I'm glad that I was just able to be a part of it for this one time. So I was, I was, I was really grateful for the opportunity because it's always weird being in a position like us where especially like we have to go everywhere, like essentially with our hands out. Yeah. Being like, will you help me? And so like every single, anytime, anytime that like you don't have to do that and you have people being like, Hey, you know, like I want to, I want to reach out. I want to know about you. I want to do this. I want to do that. It's just like, I'm like, ah, oh, this, this will be fun. Like I'm having fun right now. So. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I've talked to drag racers, um, NASCAR racers, and it's a constant, you know, the NASCAR racers and even the drag racers. Um, like I had uh, Valerie Thompson, the world's fastest female motorcycle racer. She's the only person to ever crash over 300 miles an hour on a motorcycle and live, you know, Ooh. but, but she's in a constant state, just like you are of trying to get money to, to go to the next, you know, to go to the next salt flat race and the drag racers and NASCAR racers are always, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough kind of balance. Yeah. It's, um, it's not easy, but for, you know, like I said, like, um, what means the most to me is like when things do work out, it makes you grateful. Um, cause it, it, it shows, it, it shows dedication on your part, which for me and some of the hard times that I've recently experienced and experienced in the past, you know, it, uh, I was never, it, it, it restores your hope in, in humanity, you know, that there are people out there that, you know, when they hear something there, they, they are moved to like, you know, help. And, and, you know, at the same time, not so much from my stance where it's just like, I'm doing this with the intent of people doing, you know, people carrying the load for me. It's like, no, I, I take care of what I need to take care of. And, you know, whoever I meet along the way is who I meet along the way. But yeah. And, and I keep things moving. I keep things moving forward, you know, for, for the, for the passion and for the love of what I do, you know, and it was something that didn't come right. It was something that didn't come right away. Cause there was a lot of doubt in the beginning when I was just terrible. <laughs> you know, yeah. But I'm, but I, you know, I'm sitting here having a conversation with you with someone who literally had every single person telling me that it was impossible. Absolutely. But, you know, I'm a, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a person of faith. I believe that God has everything in control, and as long as Jesus is still on the throne, you know, like anything is possible because He said so. So there's always there's always that possibility, and you know, as long as I keep my head straight, and you know, like live with integrity, and you know, like live above, you know, above like standards that you know keep people in in like weird kind of like uh, perspectives. You know, I'm gonna be okay. You know, I, I, you know, I've had to go a lot without, without a lot of things, you know, I'm like last year I had to sell my car for eating money, you know? Yeah. So I had to, I had to, you know, get used to like walking everywhere and taking the bus and doing all this other stuff. But you know, like when I was able to like, when things started working out, I was like, okay, it, it, it wasn't all that bad. You know? I got, I got an old pair of roller skates I can lend you. <laughs> I was like, those will help build up my calf muscles for sure. That's what I'm thinking, man. I've been, cause I, I started roller skating a year ago and which is sounds odd to start a new sport in your fifties, but you know, so it's the same thing. It's just, hey, at least you're still staying active. You know, stay, I mean, stay like busy. I, I've, <laughs> there's, there's, there's enough, there's nothing wrong with trying to like, you know, improve yourself or try something new, you know, and there's nothing wrong with routines either. You know, it's just your mindset and how you approach things and like the effort that you bring in every task where, 
well, that, you know, that says more about you than what you actually do. There, there's a, a motivational speaker I listened to, and and he, he kind of helped me out in the sense of, you know, a lot of people will blame, the, you know, oh, my, my, my mom did this to me, or my dad did this to me, or my sister, or whatever, my, my wife, my spouse. And he said, you should thank them because now you know what you don't want to do or how you don't want to act or how you won't want to be. And if you didn't yeah, have that, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and yeah. I said that to my, I said that myself to a lot of people. And you're like, in my family and in my friends and in some of the decisions I've made, I, I've had a front row seat to the person who I didn't want to become. Yeah, you know, and it's like despite everything, you know, there's always a way. And it's like sometimes if it's not right away, you just have to, you know, stay dedicated to to for it to reveal itself or for you to find it. Well, I, was there any was there any more questions that you needed? To, because I know that we're we're past your your time limit, but I'm I mean like I, I still got a little bit of time. If you had anything else you wanted to ask, I, I don't have a time. I mean, the, the way I do this, Anthony, is uh, you, you know the the rapper Gucci Mane. Have you ever? Of course, he, he okay. created one of my favorite things. Okay, so I had never I had heard of him, but I never heard him. So I asked the the president of his record label to be a guest on my show, and he agreed. And I'm like, all right, you know, this is cool. And um, so my daughters were freaking out because they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. He 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 start he kept talking for like two and a half hours, and I'm like, oh okay. He just had more stories, and I'm like, all right, you know, I was gonna cut him off, and then, you know, he's hitting me up. Hey, do you want to? I'm coming out to L.A. Do you want? Let's hang out. Let's do this. And I'm like, all right. It's, it's bizarre. I'm like, all right. Intense and amazing. What's that? I said that's intense and amazing. Yeah, and it's just like that. That's what I found with with the podcast is, you know, uh, for me. Uh, I just had Steve Stevens on the show, who's the, the guitarist for Billy Idol, who I grew up when I was in high school. Billy Idol's album came out, and I was like 15, 16, and we would listen to it in the weight room every, every day in the summertime. So to have him on the show and him be super cool, and you know, we talked for like an hour, it's just crazy. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. So, you, so, you know, I do actually have to get running. All right, I have buddy. to go see my. I have to see my physical therapist. Um, I'm open if you want to have any more conversations or if you want me to recommend Olympians to join your podcast. Well, let's, let's talk in uh, six months to a year and let's see where you're at. And let's, you know, when you get closer, I'd love to have you back on, you know? Oh, well, I'd love to be, I'd love to be a part of it. And, you know, I appreciate what you guys and what you've done. And, you know, thank you again for making me an honored guest of your podcast. No, I appreciate it, but now I have to go lay on a table and cry. <laughs> I can't help you with that, so you're on your own. <laughs> I know, real manly thing. You know? <laughs> been, training. been there, Physical done that. Therapists always know what instrument, what tool, and how many times to strike you with it or rub you with it to make you cry. <laughs> My wife is a Pilates instructor, and whenever she gets new new moves, she wants to. I'm her guinea pig. And I'm like, my, I'm like, oh no! I'm like, honey, my body doesn't bend that way. I go, I don't, I don't, I can't do that. And she's like, well, just try. I'm like, no, I'm trying. My body doesn't bend that way. So, well, have oh, fun. Like, yeah, this, that's the thing with sports medicine. I was just like, things are always changing and evolving. And before it can actually become a proven thing, you need a lot of people to practice on. Yeah, and, and it, even for her, like, you know, she's been doing it for three and a half years now. And she's still watching new videos, and she go, "Oh, hey, I got this new thing. I want to try it out." And I'm like, "Oh shit!" You know, and you're I, like another one. I'm like, "Great." I mean, it helps because <laughs> I need to keep my flexibility up, but boy, they hurt. So, 
Have fun. Oh, God, yeah, I, can, <laughs> I can only imagine. Well, Peter, thank you so much for making me a guest. I appreciate you, and I will talk to you soon. I appreciate Thanks, Anthony. Have a good night, bud. You too. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.